Well, thank you very much, worship team. Uh, today, as I already mentioned before, we are continuing in our service, um, our series, Just Like Us. And uh, what we want to do uh, throughout this entire series is we want to look at different people in the Bible, and we're also trying not to call them Bible characters as if though they're just, you know, these mythical uh, beings. Um, but we want to talk about people in the Bible, people like you and I, who, um, who God called, who God equipped, who were often in very interesting circumstances, interesting situations. And I want us to really focus on recognizing that they are people who, you know, other than maybe Samson and some of them that really seem to have supernatural strength, but they were human beings like you and I. And, and I, what we're hoping for as we go through the series that you will be inspired that if God has called you and if God has, uh, God has called all of us, that when God has called us, that he will accomplish in us what he wants to accomplish. And last week we looked at Joseph and we looked at his life. And today uh, I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be in Judges chapter 4 the entire time. Uh, the note should be on our church app if you want to follow along that way. But Judges chapter 4, uh, we're going to look at a woman named Deborah. And not much is known about Deborah, and so we're uh, just going to take the few verses that we have, and we're going to look at them and try to understand as much as we can. And so if you have your Bibles with you, Judges chapter 4, um, I would also encourage you later on to read Judges 4 and 5, because those two, uh, letter, those two chapters really need to go together. But in Judges chapter 4, we see that only a few, you know, some of the key leaders of Israel have now, their time has passed. And, and now Israel is in a season of um, these judges, uh, these individuals who from time to time God calls and, and places before the people to lead the people, in a sense, as a judge, um, as, as a leader, uh, to give the people direction uh, on what to do. And we read that the last judge, Ehud, has passed away, and so the people do what they normally seem to do. As soon as their leader passes away, um, you read this almost after every single judge. Um, the leader passes away, the judge passes away, and then the next line is basically, and the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so Ehud has passed away, and now um, the people, the nation, the, it's hard to actually call them a nation because it's really more of just a gathering of these 12 tribes. Um, and so the, the people of Israel, they begin to do evil in the eyes of the Lord again. And so if you have your Bibles, Judges chapter 4, uh, we'll read through um, a few verses and stop from time to time and then just dig in to see what we can learn. Judges 4.1. Again, here it is. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Hatharash Hagagon. Sorry if I butchered that. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried out to the Lord for help. So we'll stop there. So here we read about this guy named Sisera. Uh, he had this large army of chariots. And uh, maybe for us today, we would consider like chariots with armor on them and, and, and iron, not as a really big threat. But all commentaries would say today that those chariots in those days would be similar to a tanker, a modern day tank today. Uh, they were basically considered somewhat indestructible. They were fast, they were light. And the people on them 
were incredibly talented drivers of these chariots, and often they would have a couple of people with them who were you know, shooting arrows, and yet they themselves would be very difficult to hit because of the speed that they were going, because of the, the protection that the chariot had. And so Sisera has this army. King, J- King Jabin has this army, and they're going around, and they are literally um, just harassing the people of Israel and all the people in that area. Now, if you look at where this is taking place, you also know that this is where one of the major trading routes of that time was. And so this would have interrupted that trading route. It would have interrupted the uh, economy. Um, And this is something that happened for 20 years. And what we get here, though, is that basically in one line, we get 20 years of oppression just sort of summed up in these few verses. But although we read it in like one verse, we have to remember for the people of Israel... They have endured this kind of harassment for 20 years. And so they finally call out and cry out to the Lord. And now the big question, obviously, is who will God send? In Judges 4, verse 5, Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapathoth, was leading Israel at that time. Now, pause there again. Um, Deborah is probably one of the most influential women that we have uh, in the Bible, especially the Old Testament. Um, that could be debated, and so I'll just say that she's a significant person. Uh, we often know about you know, um, other, other women of the Bible, but Deborah is one of those that, because the passage is so short on her life um, about who she is, uh, we often skip over her. But Deborah plays a very important role in the lives of the Israelites, especially during the time of the Judges. Uh, Judges does not tell us a whole lot about Deborah. But when you need to recognize in a time when the world was pretty much dominated by men, it is worth noting that Deborah was called a prophet and a leader of the people of Israel. Now, just for some fun, you see there that she was, it says that she was the wife of uh, Japhadoth, uh, sorry, the wife of Lapidoth. Now, the word for wife and the word for woman in Hebrew are the exact same. So some people argue that she was the woman of Lapidoth, and other people argue that she was the wife. But those, those are not 100% clear, and we're definitely not here to discuss that. But again, some fun. Uh, you can look at that, that she could have just been this woman from this area. Um, but nonetheless, we will go today with that she was a wife because it's not 100% clear. But what is completely clear is that Deborah was known by her own merit. Deborah was not known as the wife of someone who did something amazing and he had this, you know, he had this wife. Deborah is known by her own merit. She is a judge. She is a prophet. She is a warrior. She is a leader. She is a poet. She is a songwriter. And she is a singer. Quite the lady. Quite the lady. Um, you know, um, she, she's one of these individuals that seems to be able to do just about everything. Uh, And something else, just again, for some fun for you guys to keep in mind, is that Deborah and one other person are the only people in the Bible who are both called a a judge and a prophet. Anybody want to guess who that is? Samuel. The only other person who is both called a judge and a prophet is Samuel. And so, for for argument's sake, we could say today that Deborah is kind of up there, right up there with Samuel. So again, the people of Israel... Uh, have this incredibly gifted woman who is leading them at this time. And as you're going to see, it's going to be necessary. 
Because in that time, leading the people was incredibly difficult. Um, Deborah is not... Uh, is so respected, I should say, so respected by the people of Israel that she actually can set herself up somewhere and people will just come from all over the regions, all over the place, um, surrounding towns and villages, and they will visit her to get advice. Uh, Verse 5, she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hills country of uh, Ephraim. The Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. This sounds, again, very much like what you saw with Moses. You know, the people of Israel would come to Moses with everything, and they would, you know, ask him for advice, and he would be, you know, kind of judge and jury over what the people should do. And again, what I want you to see is that this place that that people come to meet, they actually name it after her. It's the Palm of Deborah. You know, this, again, I think is an indication of the mark that this woman has left on her people. That they, if someone would be like, well, where should we meet her? Where should we find her? Oh, go to the palm of Deborah and meet with Deborah. And so you kind of get a sense here that this lady has left an incredible mark and is is very, very influential. People who don't like the idea of an Old Testament um, woman leader, um, just so I, you know, just to be very honest with you, there's quite a few people that, that don't like this. They don't like the idea that there was this Old Testament woman who had this much influence. And so what they'll often argue is that, well, she was sort of, you know, the the leaders at that time were not that great. And so out of a bad batch of leaders, she was the best one that there was. That's an extremely weak argument because when you look at the uh, the judges, what you actually see is the, the longer you go through the book of Judges, the judges actually decline in morale, they decline in leadership, and no better example of that than Samson. Uh, if you look at Samson, you really have to wonder sometimes, like, come on, like this guy, uh, just a womanizer, and what was God thinking? And so it's just a weak argument to say, well, Deborah was, you know, at that time because there weren't better, better men available. What I want you to hear is that God decided that he wanted to use this woman to lead his people, and she stepped up. Um, she, in that time, was able to, to lead because governing the people at that time would have been very, very difficult. There was no central government. Um, there wasn't like, oh, let's go to parliament. Um, like I said before, it's even difficult at that time to call it the nation of Israel because it was really just a collection of these 12 tribes who often fought one another. So to be the judge over Israel was to navigate all of that, you know, um, structure and all of those, those conflicts and all of those different things. And the other thing was that at that time, there was no succession in place. There was no structure in place that said, if you're the leader, you, this is how you're going to pass leadership on to the next person. And so you could end up with a completely different leader the next time around who has very different way of thinking and very different family background, and you see that. And so this was a complicated thing for any judge who had to lead the people. The other thing is that the judges at that time really were in charge of everything. So Deborah then would have had to be the political leader, the military leader, and most importantly, also the spiritual leader of the people. Because again, what do you see after every judge passes away? The people do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so Deborah is one of those people that while she was the leader, just like the others, many others, that while she was the leader, she was leading the people spiritually and that 
had to have been a difficult thing because you're also protecting them against invading armies. You're, you're dealing with all of the other things that would be involved in, in leading a people. And so Deborah and all the other judges had a very, very difficult task on their hands. Now, Deborah, her name is a Hebrew name, and the meaning in Hebrew is bee, B-E-E. She's like a stinging bee. Um, Deborah knew who she was. She was confident in what God had called her to do, and Deborah moved into action, and she impacted, kind of like a bee, she impacted everyone that she came in contact with. Um, some commentaries joke about the fact that she literally had like the sting of a bee in, in the people that she was with. And I, I see that as a negative thing, so I don't necessarily like that. But, but that's the power of Deborah. She was a very strong person. Deborah was so confident in God's endorsement of her leadership that she doesn't just give you know, advice to the people who come to see her, who actually like seek her out. She's not afraid to even give military advice. And we recognize that she was clearly in command because the commander of the people of Israel at that time, a man by the name of Barak, had absolutely no trouble following her orders. In Judges chapter 4, it says, we'll skip the first little part, it says, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, this is Deborah speaking now to Barak, go, take with you 10,000 men of Zephelah and Zebulun and lead them to the Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give them into your hands. Now, those are instructions that, that Deborah gives to Barak, but I want you to notice what she does here. She's actually not speaking for herself. Um, she's very clear. She says, you know, the Lord, the, the God of Israel commands you. And so, again, we have no record anywhere that God spoke. It's not recorded in that way, but this is an indication that it would seem that God was clearly speaking to Deborah, and she was a prophet to the people. And here she says to Barak, God is telling you to go up, and this is what he is going to do. And so Barak responds, uh, response tells us also a lot of how he felt about her position, uh, how he viewed her. Barak doesn't just go and do what she, he is told to do by a woman who would have had authority to, do, uh, to give him those instructions, but listen to how he qualifies his choice to follow her or to not follow her. Verse 8, Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you do not go with me, I won't go. And again, that's an important thing for us to keep in mind because Barak was wise enough to know that Deborah, the bee, um, possessed some sort of unique quality, unique relationship with God that was essential to their victory over these 900 charioteers. This army from King Gaben, uh, Jabin was way too powerful for them as a, as a people of Israel. And so Barak basically is this idea, if you go with us, we'll win. If you don't go with us, we won't win. And then look at her reply in verse 9. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kiddush. Now, I won't go into that too much because we'll touch on this a little bit. Um, but that's a little bit of foreshadowing. Here you see Deborah very clearly again acting as a prophet saying... 
because you depended so much on me to go with you, you are actually not going to receive, you as this mighty commander of the army are not going to receive this honor. It will be given to someone else. Deborah possessed a unique leadership quality. And she had a special divine connection with God that was required for this kind of leadership. And General Barak immediately heads out and does exactly as Deborah had instructed him to do. He gathers the men and they go against this army. Now with his 900 charioteers, you can imagine that Sisera must have likely approached the Israelites thinking, this is a done battle. He has harassed these people for 20 years. Um, he's never really had any kind of major pushback. And what he had not encountered or what he had not planned on was this woman, Deborah, who God was using now to do amazing work. And look at verse 14. We'll jump a few verses. Verse 14. Here now God, God I mean, here Deborah now is speaking to the people and she says, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? And what a wise leader. She reminds the people that this is not going to be on your strength. This is going to be a victory that God is going to give. And so Barak followed the instructions of Deborah, and God routes the Sisera's army until no one is left. Now, because we've got kids in the room, um, I'll let you as families read this tonight, the rest of this as your bedtime story. But just so you know, Sisera, he fled from the battle on foot. He ends up in this tent um, with, a, with, a, with a woman called Jael. I, I'm butchering that as well. Who kills him by driving a tent peg through his head. But I'll let you guys read that tonight um, for your family. And this fulfills this prophecy of Deborah that the reward or the honor of you know, Sisera's death will not be given to a man, but to a woman. And so there you have it. Uh, again, some of these things are really easy to kind of glide over, but you need to recognize that that's a fulfillment of prophecy, which again is really important to keep in mind when you consider that Deborah was a prophet. And in Judges chapter 5, we read that Deborah and Barak, they sing this song of celebration. Sisera had oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, and now it was Israel's turn to sing. They had lived in fear. They had been burdened by this heavy-handed king who had ruled over them, and now they were free. And Deborah guided the people in the midst of their misery, and as a prophet who heeded God's call, she leads the people. A leader had emerged when Israel needed a leader the most. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, like we've already said, an awful lot about Deborah. But if you read chapter 4 and 5 together, you get a pretty good picture of all of the different things that this woman has accomplished and, and who she was. So there isn't any mention about her physical skills. She's never, you know, portrayed as a female version of Samson. You don't get the normal, you know, that she was a striking beauty or that she had this somehow magical spell over people. The Bible doesn't give us any of those kind of descriptions about her. She was a woman like you and I. She was just someone who was available for God to use. No extra anything that we have in the story about what would have made her someone who could do these things. And so that's why I wanted to pick on Deborah today as we go through this series. Because I think it's important for us to recognize something that, that we don't have to have these unique skills and and abilities for God to use us. What Deborah had was obedience. She was obedient to God. 
And just like Deborah, when we are obedient to God, God can use us and we can have a significant impact in the lives of the people around us. So it's hard to know, if we're really honest with ourselves, it's hard to know sometimes what to exactly make of Deborah. What do we do with this story? It's, it's interesting. She was clearly a person who turned and trusted um, that God and people turned and trusted her. But more importantly, Deborah was willing to be used by God. Think about her situation. Think about her culture. Think about what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable. And we can maybe downplay some of that, but you know, we won't know until you know, one day it's revealed to us. But there may have been some real pressure at times because of who she was, because of her gender. And yet, here God said, I want to use you. And she stepped up and God uses her. She makes no excuses, at least none that are recorded. Uh, she didn't mention her limitations. She didn't dwell on that. She didn't focus on what was acceptable by culture and what wasn't. She just simply obeyed. And I think this is something that I want us to really focus on. That God has called us to do things in time that are going to be challenging, that are going to be difficult, and we need to consider whether we will obey. In Judges chapter 5, we read Deborah's story again, but this time it is presented as a poem. This chapter in Scripture is often referred to as the Song of Deborah. It is believed to be written uh, as early as the 12th century B.C., and is considered by many biblical scholars as one of the earliest examples of, he of Hebrew po poetry. This poetry celebrates Hebrews' victory over the Canaanites and Sisera's army. And chapter 5 ends by stating that the land had peace for 40 years after this victory. And it is believed that Deborah was the judge for those entire 40 years. So I want to wrap up today by asking ourselves then, and that's a very brief sermon on Deborah, but that's really all the information we have on her. So I want to ask ourselves today, what can we learn from this woman? What should we take away? You're sitting here today and you've heard about this lady and maybe you've, you know the story already and you, you recognize the incredible things that she accomplished. But what should we take away from her? The first one is this, that we need to be obedient. We don't know if Deborah struggled with accepting her role, like I already mentioned. We don't know what some of her internal struggles were. We don't know if it was easy. But what we do know is it did not prevent her from being obedient. Despite our fears, despite our uncertainties, despite our lack of clarity at times, let's remain obedient to what we know God has called us to do. The second one is to be brave. Be obedient for sure. And like last week, we talked about living to bring glory to God. Be faithful to the call that you have on your life. Step out in faith. And all of this is going to require us to be bold and to be brave. If you've grown up thinking that being a Christian is this easy thing to do, I have news for you, it is not. Being obedient to God will require us at times to be incredibly brave, to be faithful, to be obedient, absolutely. But there's, a, there's moments in our lives where it's like that step of faith will require every ounce of boldness that you have. And like Deborah, I want to encourage us today to consider in those moments in our lives when we are like, I don't know what to do here, but God has put a call on my life to be brave like her, to step out, to speak up, to do what God has called us to do. 
The other one is to stand firm. Never waver. Never give up. Never consider that it's impossible or that you, even if you're struggling, even if you have moments where you kind of collapse, you know, stand firm, do not give up. There are moments in our lives when we have to recognize that we don't have the strength to stand on our own, but we are standing in the power that Jesus has given us. And so stand firm. You might be thinking to yourself today, well, I, I'm going through this thing and I'm just thinking of giving up. And I think someone like Deborah, even though her story doesn't necessarily teach this, we can just assume from the culture of that time, there must have been times it would have been just easier to give up. But she didn't. She led the people for 40 years. And so I want to encourage all of us here today, learn from her, stand firm in what God has called you to do. And then the last one, I wanted to stay positive, but we're going to have to go uh, from a negative side, and that is this. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't discount in your life, and don't discount what you think God can do through you. We may see our limitations, and I hate to say this, but we as Christians, we are very, very good at pointing out each other's limitations. And so often, we will immediately say, well, yeah, that didn't go so good. I wonder if they're actually, you know. And so we just begin to disqualify ourselves. Think about all the people in the Bible. All of the different things. Moses, and you could list, and then today we focus on Deborah. If they had immediately discounted themselves, if they had immediately said, well, because this is so difficult, I'm probably not the person that God can use. We wouldn't have these stories. And I say to you and I today, God wants to do a story through you. God wants to have an impact through you. So don't disqualify yourself. Recognize that, yes, you have weaknesses. Yes, you have limitations. But who in the Bible didn't? Other than Jesus. Who didn't? They all did. And yet God used them. Their limitations were not a burden to God. Their limitations were not something that he could not work through. So don't discount yourself. Continue to allow God to lead you as he has called you and the gifting that he has given you. So I trust today, as you go from here, that you will recognize that God wants to do a work in you just like he did um, in Deborah. And he, God wants to do a work through you just like he did through Deborah. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father God, I pray that today... Uh, for the people that needed to hear that, that they would not um, dismiss that, that they would truly recognize today that you want to use them. And that when you use these people in the Bible, people like Deborah, uh, people like, like us today, um, that you can use us as well. And we just look forward, God, to what you have in store for us. We look forward, God, to the, the impact that we can have um, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, with our marriages, wherever it might be, God, you can use us to accomplish what you want to accomplish. So I pray that we would hold fast, that we would not discount ourselves, that we would not waver, that we would, that we would be obedient in everything that you have called us to do. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this time, um, we're going to shift gears here a little bit. And for those of you watching online, um, we're just, I'm going to go down to the main floor. And so give me a second here just to adjust. At this time, I'm going to call up uh, Tony and Rebecca uh, Harms and also their parents. If you guys would come to the front, please.
Well, I'm sure most of you here have already heard um, some of the news about um, their, their, um, the baby that they're expecting and some of the um, possibilities of, uh, of the health issues and stuff like that. And so I thought that it would only be right um, for us to hear a little bit from Tony um, to share a little bit about um, what's going on. And then after that, we want to take some time as a church and just surround you as a couple and especially Xavier uh, and pray for him. Yeah, so. Did I turn it on? I turned it on, sorry. Yeah, so um, at 21 weeks, we got a call from the OB saying that they found some abnormalities in Xavier. So they wanted to send us to London uh, as soon as possible to confirm the diagnosis. So he was diagnosed with CDH, which is congenital diaphragmatic hernia. So what that means is the abdominal wall that keeps everything separate, there's a hole in the left side, so it's causing his um, stomach, liver, and part of his stomach, bowel, and part of his liver to come up to his chest, where his heart should be, and pressing against the lung, and pushing the heart over to the right side, which is then pressing against that lung. So there's not enough room for the lungs to grow properly, and. Uh, so when he's born, they're going to immediately have to put a breathing tube in because he will not be able to breathe on his own. And with everything also being so jumbled up in there, um, they can't properly see his heart, so they don't know the condition of his heart. So that they're giving us, they're giving him a 50-50 chance right now. And but once, yeah, like I said, once he's born, they're going to put the breathing tube in, and then once he's stable, they're going to perform surgery to kind of put everything back in place. But as of now, they've. Uh, we're going to be, we're heading to London on Friday for the induction dates and um, they're giving out, they're saying that we might be staying there four to six weeks. It could be longer, it could be longer, it could be shorter. It all depends on once he's out and they can properly see everything and uh, his state that he's in. So that's kind of what our life is going to be looking like for the next bit. All right. Well, thank you very much, Tony, for sharing that. And um we want to pray as a church. Um, you're, you're the one supposed to cry, not me. <laughs> Here's what I believe with absolute certainty, and that is that God can heal. And so we want to pray that God would heal Xavier and that everything would go well. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to just, he tells us to, Scripture tells us to, um, to ask in his name. And so we want to do that. And so what I'm going to invite you to do um, is, if you would just stand up right now, please. I just want to move up a little bit. And those of you that feel comfortable, um, let's just come around them. And so especially if you're like maybe family or others, leaders in the church, come on in. Um, let's surround them. Let's uh, parents as well. Um, we're going to just uh, make um, a group of people around them here. And church, here's what I want you to do. Um, we're going to all pray out loud, okay? Why well, only have one person pray? Um, so the church, I just want you, you know, if you're, if you're like, well, I'm kind of intimidated to pray out loud, well, then maybe this is the time for you to say, you know what, I, I don't care. For this, for this situation, I'm going to pray out loud. And let's just take a moment, and then when we've prayed, um, then we want to, I, I will close in a word of prayer. And so let's, let's just take a moment, and let's pray together as a church for healing for Xavier.
Lord, you've heard our prayers. And Father, I want to pray now um, over Xavier. And God, as Tony has described for us, that wall that um, is supposed to be there, the damage that's been done. So Lord, I pray right now that you would bring healing to that part of his body. I pray, God, that you would um, restore his health. It's not a question of whether you can, Lord, but we are trusting for you to accomplish your will. But, Lord, in obedience, we just want to simply ask for the things that are on our hearts today. So we ask, Lord, for Friday for the delivery to go well. We pray for Rebecca. We pray, God, for her health. I pray, God, that you would give her strength uh, for the delivery. And then, Lord, again, we just pray that um, as Xavier is born, and we pray, Lord, that there would be a way for him to be able to breathe on his own and that those doctors that are going to be on, on, um, ready to help and ready to, to do the work, we pray, Lord, that you would equip them and prepare them for what needs to happen. Father, we pray in, this, in the name of Jesus for healing over Xavier. I want to also pray for Jake and Margaret and John and Margaret. I pray, God, as, as they are support to their children, I pray, God, that you would comfort them as well as they, as they um, are also going through this. And also for other family members, God, we just pray in the name of Jesus that your peace, that your comfort would come upon them. And so now, Lord, together as your church, in the power of your name, Jesus, we pray for your um, hand to move and for your healing to be given. We pray these things and all God's people said together, amen. 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 God bless you. Have a wonderful day.